If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth in Mission. Today, we're doing something a little different. In honor of Juneteenth on Saturday, we're spotlighting a project in the San Francisco Chronicle called Lift Every Voice. It's one of a series of projects across Hearst newspapers nationwide, and it paired young journalists of color with Bay Area Black elders, including activists, community members, and trailblazers. The intergenerational conversations, captured in interviews with student journalists and Chronicle visual team members Karen Creighton and Yolanda M. James, offers reflections of the past as well as visions for the future of Black America. The project features six living legends, civil rights lawyer and activist Walter Riley, who fought segregation in the Jim Crow South, sports sociologist Harry Edwards, who was the lead organizer behind the Black Power Salute at the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City, Richmond's Betty Reed Soskin, who was the nation's oldest national park ranger, Reverend Amos Brown, the president of the NAACP in San Francisco, Bay Area broadcast icon Barbara Rogers, and historian Claiborne Carson. We've captured some of these conversations here. You'll hear them recall the histories they were a part of and the groundwork they laid for last year's racial reckoning and social protests, which galvanized young people across the country. We're going to give the first word to national treasure Betty Reed Soskin, who works at the Rosie the Riveter Museum in Richmond. She's seen nearly a century of progress and setbacks, but one of her fondest memories is attending the inauguration of Barack Obama in 2009. She talks about it here, and I want to let you know, she talks very slowly, so we've taken the liberty of editing out some of the silences between her words. I remember standing with a family against the fence. In the background is the White House. And that family was as if I, as if it were really mine. We absolutely hugged, as if our lives depended on it. That evening, and I was watching the parade go by, and Michelle and Brock were walking. I felt like it was as if it was me. Harry Edwards is a sociologist and retired UC Berkeley professor who has consulted for the 49ers and Warriors. He's also counseled quarterback Colin Kaepernick on taking a knee to protest police brutality. His most famous contribution to activism, though, is the Olympic Project for Human Rights, which led to the image of sprinters Tommy Smith and John Carlos raising the Black Power salute on the Olympic podium in Mexico City in 1968. We asked him why sports provides a platform for social activism. I think that uh, sports uh, on an international level is probably the most high-profile 
political stage, uh, second only to the United Nations. Uh, I think that uh, athletes who are aware, who have done their homework, uh, who understand uh, what's at stake, realize that uh, a sports stage can be transformed into a platform to make statements that people uh, cannot help but hear, whether they like it or not. I think that uh, we're talking about the Olympic Project for Human Rights and the demonstrations in Mexico City over a half a century later uh, because of the impact that was involved. And what Smith and Carlos were saying is that we're better than this. We can do better than this. We believe in uh, freedom and justice for all. Uh, that's what they were saying. Uh, but dramatization was not enough. I realized that. You had to follow that up uh, with uh, some type of action. One of the things that I did was to focus on the sociology of sport to make sure that people understood for the first time academically, intellectually, analytically, uh, the role of sport in modern uh, society. And I hope that that's what people will leave this with, is that it's not just enough to protest. At some point, it comes down to collaborative activism. We're all in this together, and none of us are going anywhere that all of us can't go together. Uh, Dr. King was exactly correct. We're either going to come together and deal with this uh, as brothers and sisters, or we're going to die together as fools. When Colin Kaepernick first began protesting racial injustice and police brutality by kneeling during the national anthem at NFL games, it was controversial. But to Harry Edwards, it was historic. We asked him why. What Kaepernick did was to bring it to the surface from behind the scenes and say, there is something wrong when you have 147 black men, women, and children every year since the assassination of Dr. King being shot down on the cover of the badge, and very seldom is anybody ever charged, much less prosecuted. We are better than that. And that's what he was saying. It was important that Kaepernick waged that struggle. It was important that he dragged this to the forefront and say, we're better than this. And the first thing that I did after he took a knee was to go into the locker room after that game and ask him for the jersey that he wore, the shoes that he wore, the gloves that he wore, had him sign them. And I sent them to Lonnie Bunch at the National Museum for African American History in the Smithsonian. And Lonnie said, why are you sending me this stuff? Who is this guy? I said, put him right between Tommy Smith and John Carlos and Muhammad Ali, because that's where he belongs. After addressing systemic racism in the sports industry for decades, what does Edwards feel hopeful about as younger generations take the reins on racial justice activism? We asked him. Well, anytime that I'm speaking to young people or approached by young people uh, to come in and speak, I'm much more interested in what they have to say than what I have to say to them. So my first thing to do is to listen. And young people, this generation of young people in particular, are in the best position of any generation in history uh, to make change, to make positive and progressive change, if they have the initial idea and vision about where they want to go. The thing that I've been most impressed about, uh, as far as this generation of young people um, is concerned, is their uh, great intent. They have a phenomenal love for this country. 
They don't always understand democracy and the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and the rest of it. But they truly believe in that one mandate that we, the people, in order to form that more perfect union. That's who led this struggle that we just came through, where we had the largest protest movement in American history. It was young people out there in the street leading that. It was young people out there uh, protesting the George Floyd murder. It was young people out there protesting the Breonna Taylor murder. It's young people out there leading the struggle against the attacks and hate crimes against Asians and Pacific Islanders. It's young people. So anytime that I have a chance to go and speak to them, I always first ask them, what do you think? Barbara Rogers won eight Emmy Awards as a reporter, anchor, and magazine show host for KPIX-TV in San Francisco. She also co-founded the Bay Area chapter of the National Association of Black Journalists. She's 74 now, retired. And we asked her, when she started working in TV news in the late 60s, did she see other black women doing that? (laughs) You're not asking me that question seriously, are you? (laughs) No. There were no other black women in the newsroom when I first started at WOKR-TV, Channel 13, in Rochester, New York. I was the first. And now ask me if there were any other women in the newsroom. No, there were not any other women either. There was one woman who was the secretary and slash assignment editor. But there were no female reporters. There were no black reporters when I started. I was only one. More from Barbara Rogers after a short break. We'll hear how she thinks media should cover police violence in the Black community. And we'll also hear from Reverend Amos Brown, president of the NAACP in San Francisco and pastor of Third Baptist Church located in the Fillmore. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When we asked Barbara Rogers what her most memorable story was... She said that the one she finds herself talking about the most was a story that got her her first Emmy Award. It was about a housing project in San Francisco that was a pretty bad place to be. Drug dealers, crime, all kinds of things. Predominantly black people lived there. And there was a garbage strike. This was back in the early 80s. And um, the people who lived in that housing project I think it was called Yerba Buena Plaza was the real name of it. But the building was sort of a pinkish color, so people called it the Pink Palace. And so people from that housing project, when the garbage strike happened and garbage was piling up, they brought all their garbage out one day and put it in the middle of the street. They blocked the traffic, you know, the cops were called, and I was sent to cover that story. And while I was covering that story, one of the women who lived there came over to me and she said, yeah, now you news people, you TV people come here when we put the garbage in the street. Why don't you come over here every day and see there's garbage here all the time, whether there's a strike or not. And I'm like, oh, 
okay, <laughs> you know? So I went back to the newsroom and I thought about that. And I said to my boss, I said, you know, we should maybe do something. They had no interest. They were not at all interested in the fact that those people were living with garbage, even when there wasn't a garbage strike. But I kept at it. I kept, I kept saying, let's do something. Let's do something on that. Rogers says the media has a role to play in fighting the problem of police violence against Black people. I think one of the main things that journalists could do to repair the relationship between the Black community in general and police officers in general, and we know we're not talking about individuals because there are good people everywhere and there are bad people everywhere, so we want to talk about specifically the problems you're talking about, is to first of all, stop covering it like it's a football game. You know, it's automatically you're making it adversarial when you cover it like that. You know, somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose. That was never my philosophy when I was a working journalist, to go to a story and always look at it in terms of winners and losers, or who's on this side, who's on that side. But to always try to find where is the common ground? Where is the point where we can come together and agree? We asked Rogers how she feels about the future. I should say the person she's talking to here is Chronicle photographer Yolanda M. James. I'm an optimist. Uh, but I'm also a realist. So I'm not a Pollyanna kind of optimist who thinks, oh, it's all going to be better. It doesn't get better unless a lot of people do a lot of work. It got The reason we are have you and I, and I know the, the, the viewer can't see you, but I will say you are African-American. I am African-American. We are both black. The reason we're sitting here in this nice building with all this technology, being able to do this is because we're no longer slaves. So we know that it does get better, but it gets better in very, very, very small steps. You know, there'll be like maybe one big step and then a lot of little small steps and then some back steps. And, you know, it's, it's a process. Reverend Amos Brown is 80 years old. He's been the pastor of the Third Baptist Church in the Fillmore since 1976. He grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, and he was already a civil rights activist when he first came to San Francisco for a visit as a teenager in the mid-50s. But when I witnessed the lynching of Emmett Till, who was the same age as I, I was so impacted by that horrifying image of Emmett Till's mutilated head in that casket that I ran to Mr. Mega Evers, the newly appointed field director of the NACP, and shared with him how upset I was and how evil those white men were. He looked at me and said, Amos, I understand your anger. I know you're hurt. I see it and I feel it. He said, but don't just be upset. Let's be smart. Let's organize a youth council of NACP so that you and your young friends will learn how to fight this evil of racism and injustice in a smart and strategic way. And from that conversation, I organized the first youth council of NACP in the state of Mississippi. Today, Brown is the president of the San Francisco chapter of the NAACP. He also serves on San Francisco's Reparation Advisory Committee, something he fought for and the Board of Supervisors approved in 2019. I feel that this city has the moral obligation to live up to its name. 
San Francisco claims to be a liberal, progressive city, but it has failed to be liberal and progressive when it comes to the treatment of African Americans. And this city has the opportunity to make things right. And we're not just talking about giving money to persons per se. That's worthy of debate. But we're talking about, at most, a programmatic reparations that deals with adequate health care, to deal with the physical and mental challenges of African Americans, and education. So we need to have programs from K through college that will help African Americans catch up when it comes to education. Economic empowerment. The medium income for black people in this town is unfortunately between 29 to 31,000. But for whites, the majority culture, it's 101 to 110,000. How can anyone make it own $31,000 a year in this town? When we asked Brown what part of his legacy he's most proud of, he listed a few things like his unbending commitment to social justice and his promotion of quality education. And he talked about how his church brings people together. But we never mastered that little pronoun, we. We. We all human. We all made of one blood. But all these external differences is something that happened because of climatic, environmental conditions and because we've had different cultures and different ways. That's it. But we're all human. We all cry. We all rejoice when we're treated fairly. We all sleep. And we all wake up. We got to see the little pronoun will save us. We. We are human. We let Betty Reed Soskin have the first word. Let's let her have the last word, too. She's the 99-year-old National Park Ranger who works at the Rosie the Riveter Museum in Richmond. We asked her how she's feeling about the future. And just a reminder for transparency's sake— Soskin speaks slowly, so we've taken the liberty of editing out some of the silences between her words, but we haven't changed what she says. The last few years have been hard for me because I see them as being my my final years of where Black Lives Matter is is such so much a part of of what we are becoming. We've not yet become that, but we are becoming as a nation if we can get past this Trump thing. If we can get, get past that, I can't help but think that Black Lives Matter 
has brought on something that's been way ahead of us. And as it was with the Obamas, it's going to happen without anyone doing anything, just because it's time has come. And I think it's not too far ahead of us. But right now, we're going through a period that is so negative, and we are so awake. We are so awake. I can't help but think that it's all going to come together in the next few years. It's going to be too late for me, but it's going to be in time for you. A big thanks to the people whose voices you heard in this show, Betty Reed Soskin, Harry Edwards, Barbara Rogers, and Reverend Amos Brown. You can read more and watch videos from the Lift Every Voice project, including interviews with two other Bay Area Black elders, Walter Riley and Claiborne Carson, at sfchronicle.com slash voice. Thanks to interviewers Karen Creighton and Yolanda M. James, to Sarah Feldberg and King Kaufman for their help with this episode, and to you for listening.